0: I do feel that there are probably places in that road that could have maybe widened a bit or barriers, something, anything. There have been so many accidents that have been fatal. I don't think I'm ever going to stop traveling this road. It may take me a while to travel back down this road because it's going to be hard to pass. Where this happened, my husband has always been, he's, dri- hes he drives like an old man, the speed limit or less, <laughs> you know, both hands on the wheel. The last thing that happened that I remember, he, he literally put his hand on my leg and he glanced over at me and he said, I love you. We've got this. And the lights went up. That was it. That was I think he said to me.
1: You're listening to The Insider, a podcast from the Mail Tribune and Rosebud Media. I'm Ryan File, Mail Tribune web editor. I started this podcast as a way to give readers a behind-the-scenes look at more elaborate stories produced by our newsroom. Behind the scenes in any form of media is incredibly interesting to me, and I also think the amount of effort that goes into longer reads should be recognized. I want to welcome Mail Tribune reporter Kaylee Tournay back for a story that admittedly ran more than a month ago. I typically try to get on these a bit more aggressively, but it didn't happen this time around. Um, that said, the story definitely stuck in my head the way any powerful piece of writing does. Kaylee's piece, Highway 199, A Road to Ruin, told the story of a dangerous stretch of highway, or Highway 199, which is a main thoroughfare between the Rogue Valley and the South Oregon Coast. Also called the Redwood Highway, the road twists and turns through a dense forest of old-growth trees like a snake trail through long grass. It's considered one of the most dangerous highways in the state. Twenty-four people died on the 41.6 mile stretch between 2011 and 2015. Seventeen more died from 2016 to 2018, and four more have died still so far in 2019. That's 45 total. That's about one death for every mile. As she's done in the past, Kaylee managed to marry data with humanity pretty seamlessly. Um, Beyond that data, beyond the eyebrow-raising numbers, she managed to bring the names behind them into focus. Um, That opening bit of audio you just heard is from a woman named Anna Fetty who lost her husband in a recent crash. Um, Kaylee, thanks for being here.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. We have talked about this before on and off the podcast, but I wanted to revisit this because it felt so evident in your story. Uh, The human element is hard at work. You heard this woman's heartbreaking story about how she lost her husband in a recent crash on this highway. It really changed the demeanor of the piece, um, clearly strengthened it, and I was hoping to get some perspective from you on how you think it impacted the piece, and maybe impacted you too.
2: Well, I first covered that crash because it was a fatal crash from a guy, a man who would lived in Jackson County. so. That's a news angle. We cover those stories routinely when someone locally is killed in a, in a vehicle accident or any other type of accident. Um, and so and when I cover breaking stories that deal with really hard things, which most of them do, but especially something like a death or a really major crime, it's really always important to me to try to get um, to give the family an opportunity to speak if possible. And so that was when I first made contact with the Fetties. Um, I, you know, those are really hard contacts to make to reach out to somebody when um, right after they've lost a family member. It's not fun. It's probably one of the most difficult parts of the job. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it's, I've considered it really essential when we know that we have to cover a story because you don't want to just say it's not news that this man died, but... By contacting the family, we have a chance to say that there's more to this story than the fact that he died. Anyway, so that's sort of the background that eventually led into this longer investigation. It started with me, with me, contacting the Fetis and being in touch with them to just cover the fact that Guy had been killed in this accident. And here's how the family has to pick up the pieces now and what they remember about him. But after this reader feedback, kind of, they were readers were reaching out to us and saying, you know, you really should dig into this. there's nothing I love more than when readers do that even though sometimes we get crazy um crazy suggestions from people or things that really aren't going to pan out into a story because sort of the premise of the whole thing maybe is a personal beef or something like that that's maybe not news community wide um but just that kind of thing I knew that there was more so um and we needed that human element of the Fetties. I, I, I was going to look for another family potentially who have been impacted, but the Fettis were just wonderful to work with. They really wanted to talk. And um, so, and you know, they were very candid and open and welcomed us in to, to ask them questions about one of the worst days of their entire lives. And, you know, that all, they make this story possible by opening up to us about those things.
1: hmm and so, I mean, and you, you pretty much answered this already, but um, the the process for this beyond uh, Oregon State plays, Oregon Department of Transportation, et cetera, you know, the typical people that we call for these types of stories, um, that essentially kick started people um, calling into you and saying, keep going. And you reached out to the Fetis again and, and then said, can we talk about this more? Um, was the second call more intimidating than the first call?
2: I actually didn't make that second call because because I had heard um, and this is something actually to to be following up on probably eventually. Um, I had heard anecdotally that there may be another um, aspect to the Crash that killed the guy, um, that there was drug paraphernalia found in the car that swerved into their car. Hmm. And so I didn't know if immediately if their story was going to really be, you know, quite right exactly, um, if that's the case, because, you know, the story that I wanted to look into is Is Highway 199 more like, un- is it exceptionally dangerous? Um, because there's always been that that um, reputation that it's had, because it shows up on these sort of weirdly sourced lists that ODOT really is not a fan of. They bring it up a lot in their presentations (laughs) and internal (laughs) materials is, you know, the news media repeats this line that this is one of the most dangerous roads in the country um, from these lists that analyze data weirdly, or we don't even know where they get their sources for those things, Um, and so, or for that claim, to back up that claim. Anyway, so, um, so I didn't make the call. Um, I was working with another member of our, of our team here, um, at the Mail Tribune and at Rosebud, um, who's on the Rosebud video team. Um, because he uh, he actually really was as passionate about the story as I was, um, because he had been coming back from the highway, from the coast, I mean, on the highway when, they saw the crash that killed the guy oh, wow. and this, um, you know, this uh, coworker of, of ours is, um, a young father and he, um, you know, immediately was thinking about his own family and how much that's on his mind every time he travels that road. And when you, every time that there is a crash that's reported, I mean, you look at those comment sections and everyone says, and you know, the anecdotal evidence of Facebook, comments is not necessarily indicative of an actual and true trackable phenomenon, but it's worth looking into that there's enough of this feeling for people that you know, this always happens on Highway 199. We've passed so many crashes or we've seen so many crashes or we've seen so many near misses. Um, all that to say, um, Ian was actually the one who reached out to the family um, and so it, when they ended up being so willing to talk, you know that that also definitely helped spur. Um, the process long. They, they wanted to share their story. I think they really have taken the mindset of they want, I mean, they don't want other families to lose their family members. And so if sharing their story is a way, some part of making a difference to try to keep that highway, make that highway safer, they seem very willing to do that.
1: Sure. How long, all told, did you spend uh, conducting your interviews, researching, reporting, just the whole bit?
2: so the accident that um guy was killed in was august 4th and we ran the story on august 25th so it feels like it was a lot longer than that um but it was just about a 21 day turnover Mm -hmm. for that the biggest reason why that was possible though because often that, that wouldn't be, because this was a, really a data-heavy, data-backed-up story, um, was because the Oregon Department of Transportation was very transparent, very open, and very available to talk about what's going on in this highway and what they've already done. It's not like this is a new thing for Oregon Department of Transportation. It's not like this is new for ODOT. This is something they've been aware of for the past 15, 20 years, and they've made these steps, uh, they've made these improvements along different parts of the highway um, and tried to address traffic safety, um, but clearly people aren't always aware of that. And, and I, you know, I don't think most people feel like it's been quite enough yet to make a difference and make an impact on the amount of people dying on that road every year. and the numbers back up that feeling.
1: I was just going to say we see that in the data. It's it's very consistent and, and, and continues to be. Um,
2: you know, it's a, it's a highly traveled road, but compared to roads in the Portland and highways in the Portland metro area, it gets significantly less average daily traffic. Um, and it's quite... Short. The part that's on the Oregon side of the border is is forty one point six miles long. Right. I think, um, just under forty two miles. And there have been forty five deaths in this time period that we that we looked at between two thousand and eleven and two thousand the end of two thousand eighteen. Or no, no that that includes twenty nineteen data to now. Yeah. Um,
1: So that begs the question, I mean, with all of that going on, what are some of the key reasons for, or or, I mean, even even things that are under investigation by ODOT as possibilities for being the reason for that number of crashes?
2: People travel really fast on this road. um, And it is extremely narrow. There's just so, uh, you know, Gary Leeming, the spokesman for ODOT that we always, that we talk to for these stories um, you know, he, he said, he just described it, I think, as there's so little margin for error on this road. You know, other, other roads, I-5, other things, they have, they have grassy medians, they have concrete medians, they have, um, you know, metal barriers and things, and, and there's so little of that. So so a, a good number of these crashes are head-on fatals.
1: Because um, you're ultimately in a tunnel. Essentially, I mean, just with the with how close the trees are in on you, um, yeah. I mean, you're essentially in a tube, basically.
2: Yeah, and people travel very fast, and the highest rates of crashes occur where Highway 199 meets um, uh, roads uh, meets roads in cave junction and selma and kirby these areas where there's cross traffic is mm-hmm. actually unsurprisingly because there's more people there and, and cross traffic people there's a higher rate of crashes in those areas um because people are often going very fast and don't slow down enough to be going through you know a, a populated area right and um honestly some of the factors that we might think like weather or time of day. A lot of these crashes happen during the day. A lot of them happen during normal weather, during daylight hours. So those sorts of factors aren't really contributing to those. It's a lot of driver behavior. And um, that's a, and ODOT's attitude about that is something that I sort of saw shift in the time that I did this reporting, which was Interesting to see. I've never experienced that in a reporting process. Before.
1: Can you can you explain a little bit more what you mean by that? By The their-
2: first time that I talked with Gary Leeming about this, and it was a very kind of introductory thing, it was a long interview. We talked for about an hour. He walked me through this mound of data that he um, that, that ODOT had put together about uh, all the info on the crashes that had happened between 2011 and 2018. I think it, that data set was. Um, and, you know, it had all the time of day, type of crash, weather, um, you know, whether it was a horizontal or vertical curve or straight away and things like that. And, and anyway, so he sort of was describing to me, um, you know, the, the three things that go on into ODOT's approach is education enforcement and engineering. It's that three pronged approach to traffic safety.
1: The three E's you mentioned that in your story.
2: Yeah. And when it came to education, you know, one of the things I was asking about was, was signage, you know, if people are driving so fast, if they're driving recklessly, would more signs help? And frankly, his attitude in that point was pretty, um, pretty just you know thinking no that that really isn't a very effective way you know drivers blow by signs don't even know what they say all the time he sort of you know talked to me about how um, you know when there's traffic and maybe a closed road you know people still drive down the road and then they're like oh i didn't even realize this was closed and, and things like that one-way streets all kinds of things but then just before we headed into publishing the story this was right before labor day weekend there had been at least one more fatal accident um the day you know and we talk about this in the story the day that the Fetty family gathered together for the celebration just a family thing um of Guy's life while they were gathering to do that another man was killed a motorcyclist was killed on 199 that fact will never not haunt me while this family is there looking at their photographs celebrating Guy's life and mourning the loss of him traffic was backed up on highway 199 for another death another head-on collision involving a motorcyclist who was killed and so with the, so fast forward to the week before we ran the story and I'm contacting Gary for last minute kind of um updates and you know I ask him about other stuff and he's like you know we should you should know like we have this with this sign campaign coming up for for Labor Day, we're going to be rolling out lighted signs and using the overhead sign to let people know, like, four people have died on highway number 199 this year already. Like, don't be the next. And that was very surprising to me, just given the attitude. It's quite a um, switch. You know, and I'm not meaning to critique him for that attitude at all, because he works with this stuff all the time, and I mm-hmm. don't. But it was just interesting seeing that, that attitude shift. And, you know, I asked him, what's changed? And, you know, that quote's also in the story. He, he just said, we're, we're desperate. We are frustrated and desperate and we want to do anything to get people's attention mm-hmm. to stay safe.
1: So are there, I mean, are there any other things that they can do or any other things that they're trying right now?
2: Um, one of the things that is really interesting um, that I quickly realized from the process talking to Gary is, um, and I've seen this reporting on other stories with ODOT, is it's a very collaborative organization or a collaborative agency, you know, maybe more so than it, more apparently so than than some other state agencies. So they really had done a lot of work with local folks, you know, who live off Highway 199. That's how I got connected with um, with Kate Dwyer from um, from Illinois Valley Community Improvement, mm-hmm. and um, you know, just really realizing that they work with a lot of people locally. They're pulling stakeholders together and trying to keep conversation going about this, um, and so i think that they're they're going to continue to work on it um you know when i when i spoke with kate dwyer from um, from the illinois valley you know she expressed the um how she felt um drivers ed and a lack of drivers ed support for um for the youth and in illinois valley was a contributing factor that you know people are are not being taught properly um you know proper safety in driving um, without driver's ed. So that was you know something that she f- sees as a potential solution as well. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with that because that's obviously a very different funding structure than um, and a lot of d- a different system than engineering or signs or things like that. Um, and then another piece of it is um, enforcement. Um, one of the things that ODOT has suggested and that they're going to be continuing to look into and, and they might end up doing is establishing a safety corridor. There have been some difficulties with that because a safety corridor is supposed to be fairly contained. But the one of the other tricky things about Highway 199 is that its accidents are spread out all over the highway. It's not like there are you know there are these higher concentration areas, but they're they're everywhere that these fatal crashes happen and, and other types of crashes. And so, um, you know, OSP has been underfunded and understaffed for years, and we're going to see maybe some more officers. It was interesting in this legislative session, the past one, to see all this momentum behind um, bills that would have um, funded OSP more and and brought its staffing levels up, but that died in committee, and they are they don't have a ton more to work with than they than they did. So, you know, that's another piece is that um, you know the enforcement. People will say, you know, if people know that they're going to get caught for speeding, they won't do it. If they know that there's a higher, you know, number of, of patrolling troopers around, they'll slow down. And that continues to be something that the community is going to be waiting on for a while.
1: Yeah. What uh, What has the reader feedback been like on this? Especially, uh, uh, I would be curious to know what the the Fetties thought.
2: I think the fetes are really. Um well I I heard from Anna afterwards and she was um you know she thanked me for doing the story and said that you know she she really liked it and she wanted more copies and, and things. Um really I feel like she's the one like I need to be thanking because just to be so candid as she was, you know, even in front of a camera too, people can be more uncomfortable with that and she was just so raw and um and very honest and 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 open. She
1: seems to me. Sorry to interrupt. When when something that struck me about her when I watched the videos too is she really seemed to have her thoughts very well organized too. Just about how about I mean, which is incredible uh, coming off um, a a tragedy like that so soon.
2: It's interesting watching her hold herself back from crying because I was confused by that a little bit. Um, You know, she's talking about like the worst heartbreak and. She wasn't fully crying, but then afterwards when I was talking to her, she told me about how because her ribs are broken, crying was too painful and sobbing is literally too physically wow. painful to do. So okay. she said that she hadn't been able to like let herself
0: just
2: uh. fall apart because it hurt her too much physically, which of course is all the more heartbreaking. Um, to know that as you watch it. Because yeah. I was so confused by that, how she kept pulling herself and pulling herself into composure. It was 11 days since she lost her husband, who she loved for, I think, three decades. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so she's she's definitely quite an incredible woman. Um, as far as reader feedback, there wasn't a ton, as, like, other investigations that i I've done or long or longer pieces. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a monster. This was a seventy-four-inch story. It was, it was the longest piece. single piece that I've written that hasn't been multiple days. And um, yeah, it was it was pretty quiet. There were some people. I think a couple people who commented on it, and people on on Facebook. What we heard kind of on social media was, was that people were glad that the story happened. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard from some, you know, Gary Leaming from ODOT texted me afterwards and, you know, said just compliment. I don't know. I don't want to just like toot the toot the horn of the story or anything like that. But, um, you know, I, I feel like it's a kind of issue to follow up on, which I'm hoping to do because it was so late in the process that I realized that the data that we had was literally one side of the highway. And there's a whole other 40 miles of highway almost on... the The California California side Mm -hmm. and we didn't have that data. And so literally we had an incomplete picture and that drove me crazy. I tried everything on Friday to get that data. I have it now. I don't have this year's. I can get that in a few weeks, but I'm really planning on trying to keep up with that because no one from Oregon, no one from Jackson County in the Rogue Valley is driving there. They're just like halting at the California border. Like they drive those 39 or however many miles it is. So they're in danger there, and I wanna know what's California doing about that? What what kind of conversations have they had with communities there? So yeah, there's definitely more in the works.
1: Uh, Kaylee, thank you so much again for coming on. If you haven't yet, visit mailtribune.com and search Highway 199 to pull up Kaylee's piece. This is Ryan File, and you've been listening to The Insider.